I am Citizen 44. It's a trip down a road But to where we don't know There's a map in the car But we steer by the stars There's a straight, there's a curve there's a skip, there's a swerve We can't say where we are But we steer by the stars It's a joke, let it in Hold the wheel, let it spin we're so smart, but we steer by the Everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 54. Today my guest is Alea Kitani. Alea is presently the founder and chair of an organization with the acronym KAWS, Keeping Ashland Women Safe. This is a task force comprised of concerned citizens who've come together in response to the reality of violence and threats of violence against women in Ashland. It's kind of a sad statement. You know what? It's something that we need in our perceived bubble that seems to be getting pierced regularly based on being just a part of the world. Yes, I love my dear, sweet Ashland, Oregon, but again, it is part of the world and we have plenty of problems there like, uh, you know, anywhere else. Alea and I had an in-depth conversation about the work that she's doing and where that's all going. So. This is my first show from Moscow, Idaho. Yes, I am now pronouncing the name of the town that I live in correctly. I live in Moscow, Idaho. It's a very sweet place. I'm very happy here. 
And uh, it's got kind of that also, like when I moved to Ashland, that nurturing element. This is of course not Ashland. It's a very different state that I'm in. I'm having a really good time. There was a block party this past weekend right here downtown. They shut the street down. I went and hung out with my buddy, Tony. She owns Palouse Juice, which is almost 100% vegan juicing food, cookies, smoothies, things kind of place, which is very unique to the area. She's so cool. Tony has been very good about introducing me to all kinds of interesting people in this town, including the mayor, Bill Lambert, and uh, a few other interesting people like Steve Shannon, the program director and morning DJ for KZFN-FM. Z-Fun 106 right here in Moscow, Idaho. I don't know that he's the only other Jew here in Moscow, Idaho, but he's the only other Jew that I now know here in Moscow, Idaho. I also met Kelly Livingston, who's a news anchor and reporter here in Moscow, Idaho. So I'm building my community rather quickly, and I'm really enjoying this resurgence of photographic exploration. It's such a pretty place rolling hills, endless fields of garbanzo beans. Uh, I've never really seen anything like this. So the newness has inspired me to pick up the camera and really uh, dive back in. Really uh, a rich, fantastic experience. There's a co-op here. They have great prepared food. I eat lunch there almost every day. And uh, you know, I'm having a great time with my friend Darren. Darren and I have kind of caught back up again. I've got a couple of great roommates named Tom and John. Here you go. Let's get on with the show. Hey, Alea Katani, how are you today? Hi, Mark. I'm doing well. Some people know that I broke my foot a couple weeks ago, and the instructions are to stay off of it for several weeks. So it's been quite an ordeal, but I'm doing well. Cool. You're the former chair of the Jackson County Council Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. Yes. Why are you no longer in this position? I resigned from the co-chair position with the county council for a few reasons. First of all, I had created a task force called Keeping Ashland Women Safe just about a week before I was asked to be elected as co-chair of the county council. The task force requires a lot of energy and attention. It started with an idea, a frustration, sometimes an outrage over the years, and I am bringing it step-by-step into nonprofit status. So between the task force, breaking my foot, and being in private practice with three Southern Oregon office locations where I work with people with all forms of life and medical challenges, including and as a specialty, people, mostly women, who have been disempowered by violence in their life and are in trauma, and also one radio show and a second one about to begin. On top of all of that, feeling that who I am and the way I work to make change and connect with people, I can be much more effective focusing on all the other things and not being co-chair of the council, leaving that for someone else who can dedicate more of themselves to that. It's so interesting, the timing on this show. Recently, a dear friend of mine, female, was attacked viciously by her uh, former fiancé. Just a horrible thing. And this has just happened in the past four or five days. It made the Tribune. Are you aware of what happened with Mandy Valencia? Yes. Happened in Medford, my understanding. You know, I was a career social worker for about 30 years. I worked for the state originally and then several different nonprofits. And my last agency, the last two really worked with child abuse. The last agency, I was the outreach person for the agency, which meant I was the first person in the homes from my agency to help assess the urgency of need. That meant that I was in all kinds of neighborhoods all over this valley by myself where a lot of violence was occurring. I heard horrible stories that I would not want in anybody's mind, so I don't even repeat them. However, I am aware of the great amount of violence in this valley and really all over the world. 
in Ashland, there's this idea that things have changed, things are fine, women are safe, women are equal, women are empowered. Uh, this is not true. And in fact, even the rights that women have fought very hard to obtain are systematically being decreased and taken away right now as we I have a daughter in the high school who's concerned about soft rape. I know that this bubble community that people talk about, it's a very thin bubble. Yeah, there's a lot that goes on and only 10 to 20 percent of all sexual assaults are reported. So many women are telling their friends, they sit beside me at my favorite watering hole in Aspen, they tell me what they just encountered at a bar or in the plaza. There's a lot of reporting that goes on in Facebook groups by the victims. So while Aspen in itself, if we just talk about Aspen, if someone was to come from a major city, Aspen would be a very safe place because relatively it is. However, if someone was to believe that nothing goes on in Ashland and the bubble is real, then that would be false. There are assaults that go on in Ashland that are not reported. The estimate based on the 10 to 20 percent reported is that approximately 150 sexual assaults occurred in Ashland in 2017. That does not include the university. How many sexual um, assaults happened on campus? I'm not sure. You know, I heard our the task force when we first met the executive director of the Jackson County Sexual Assault Response Team, who was part of the task force, met with us several times and was part of our first event. He cited a projected number from 2013, and it was approximately the same number at the university. I don't remember the exact number. And again, those were projections based on how many are actually reported. There is a program that in the last eight years has been brought in to the Ashland TV. There's a similar one in Medford called by a different name, and Ashland is called Options for Reporting. And in this program, women can report an assault. They can, of course, have a, an advocate from community work with them through this whole process by calling the helpline. So they can report, and then they can choose do I want an investigation or not, or do I want it to just go into the database? Because we know that most men who assault women do this repeatedly. So they can report and have it put into the database in the computer and not investigate, or they can choose to investigate and stop the investigation at any time. So there's a lot of control to the women through this program. Tell us the name of the program again, please. Yeah, it's called Options, Options for Reporting. These programs are with the police department. Also in the options program, a woman can report online. And in that way, you know, at least the information is in the database. Because as we see with the Me Too movement, oftentimes these people have repeatedly assaulted victims. How can they be repeat offenders? Well, first of all, when women don't report, then there's nothing the police can do. Second of all, there's good reason why women don't report. Because oftentimes, when women report, they're not believed. They're made to be the ones who have to defend themselves. Their morality and their character is under assault. How do they prove these things? Their partners might become furious. There's a lot of shame attached. So the experience of women who report is pretty horrendous historically. Now there are attempts being made so that the experience is not so bad. There is a trained advocate who will be with the woman through it. And our hope is from the task force, Haas, our task force, we've been meeting with the police chief, Omera and Aslan. Our hope is that there will be thorough attention and follow-through to these cases, something which a lot of women in Aslan had the impression wasn't always occurring. So... Part of our mission is to bring heightened awareness to the fact that, as a city, can we create a culture where, number one, violence is not tolerated. Violence to anyone, but I'm talking about violence against women, is not tolerated. How can we create that? And number two, where these cases where women are assaulted are taken very seriously, have a lot of attention by the police and have very thorough follow-through 
investigation so that charges are filed by the DA, so that a case is thoroughly made, all the facts, and a good case can be made. And then, of course, we've got the issue of the laws. Many, many times I sat with women who were almost killed the night before by their partner, as a social worker. I was there, and they were terrified because this guy was going to be released in 24 hours because there wasn't enough space in the jail. You know, and that restraining order is only as good as someone who honors it, which is often not the case. So there's a lot to be done with the laws as well. I mean, why is domestic violence a misdemeanor unless it involves strangulation or choking? Why is it a misdemeanor to assault a woman? Because the laws are made by men. That's how we've dealt with our lack of emotional intellect and maturity is to just lash out at everything. Yes, and furthermore, when you look at the cases of women who have been the subject of domestic violence for extended periods of time, really beaten down, really mentally confused and warped, that's a very complex psychological process. I studied it in detail. It's very similar to cult programming, and I studied it because I was in that situation, so I know it very well. So my point is, it's such a big topic. There's so much that can be said. The vast numbers of women who are the victims of domestic violence and finally defend themselves and injure or kill their attacker, their partner, their husband, their boyfriend, those women receive much more harsh, much longer sentences than men who attack and kill their female partners. It's a very unequal and wrong situation, and there's a lot of work to be done in regard to this huge topic. And, and certainly, you know, we bring it down to the microcosm of Ashland, and then we can expand it to worldwide, where women are used as weapons of war, and horrific things are done to them. Horrific. A couple of years ago, I think it was last year, not, not just this spring, but the year before, there was a film at the Ashland Independent Film Festival called City of Hope. It was so horrific. The filmmaker and the director of this center that's called City of Hope in the Congo was there. And what these women experience at the hands of the soldiers in the Congo is beyond brutal, beyond what you could imagine. And they're bringing them into the center and bringing them back to life and teaching them how to be empowered and then to go back out and bring this to their villages and their people. But these women are walking around without organs, holes in their bodies from horrific, terrible torture. And so to most women, a lot of men, of course, why would any other human being, because of their gender or color or anything, why would anyone be treated this way? So, yeah, it's my number one passion to see what we can do to bring awareness, to bring empowerment, to bring healing, to bring culture change so that there's a turning of this. The only way to fix something is by empowering people with the proper knowledge and how to be responsible citizens. And if we don't do that, we're going to have this problem for a long time. And that goes with I would imagine there's a percentage of these incidents that are aided by drugs and alcohol. It's actually a really fascinating and amazing time. You can see the bubbling up of transparency happening. So it's going to take clearly a while, and a lot of pain and suffering is going to continue on. But if we decide that, most importantly, fundamentally, we start teaching, training human beings how to be not the monkeys that do what we're doing, because we can choose not to. That's the main difference between us and those crazy animals out there. We don't have to. They do. They're compelled. But we're making choices that are based on a value system that's askew. And until we empower people to know what this is and really show them how powerful they are and how that can be leveraged in different ways and take care of people, people are sick. People also attack other people when they're not well fundamentally. And I can go into the whole first victim thing because there's always going to be a victim before the victim. This all stems from sickness and it starts with whatever that illness or problem is within that one individual that's now infecting the rest. It's a problem. All this stuff is curable through prevention. 
but we're not doing any of the preventative work. We're trying to put a Band-Aid on it and hope that it just somehow fixes itself culturally. But I, I don't see how that's actually possible if we don't start with the people themselves and get them well and educated. I don't see how we can fix any of this, really. Well, you touched on a lot of things, Mark, and I'll start with the last thing you said. There is a program through the Jackson County Sexual Assault Response Team Start where they are going into the schools, starting with kindergarten on up, and they are teaching specifically about consent and what truly is consent and what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. So they're starting young, they're starting at kindergarten. Of course, demonstration goes hand in hand with education. When I work as a social worker, SEMP would come for their classes, use certain forms, certain techniques of behavior modification and positive reinforcement where the children changed their patterns. However, they only changed them when they were in class around the teacher and at the center. When they went home, what was being demonstrated at home was two-thirds of the influence on those kiddos. So they flip right back into the responses, patterns, and behaviors that they had learned at home. I would go into those homes, and I would see how these kiddos would behave. I would see all kinds of things going on that they would never do at the center because they knew the expectations were different. It was a whole different setting. So... It's really important to have the education. It's really important to have the understanding of what is or is not appropriate and certainly a clear message that the culture, the society, will not tolerate this with very clear accountability. But then we have what is going on with these children from the point of conception all the way up in their home life. And a lot of violence comes from ancestral violence. A lot of the parents that I worked with in the child abuse work had run away from home very young because of terrible abuse in their own home. There was a lot of drugs involved. Many of these families were involved in drug addiction and drug addiction recovery programs, some successfully, some not. It's also about the rehabilitation of the, we'll just say men or people who who have been in jail and are now on parole or probation from these crimes. That whole system, that whole curriculum is out of date, ineffective, and that's a big conglomeration of who has the time, the money to approach such a huge topic and get effective work so that these people are being rehabilitated. These men aren't just getting out, breaking restraining orders, continuing with the next partner and the next and the next. And again, I have to also speak to the work that I do with clients because all of us believe that we're making conscious choices when there is a large portion of what we're doing, which is projection and subconscious, subconscious programming. Like you hear stories of serial murderers when they get caught saying, thank you, what a relief. They wanted to stop and didn't have control over themselves. There's a certain badness that can take over the subconscious and cause people to be doing things. You know, we all do things we don't want to do. That doesn't mean we're all violent, but certainly we all do things at times that are not as kind as we'd like to be or, or otherwise. And so a lot of the work that I do with clients is getting underneath what's going on, mostly on the victim side. I don't work in my private practice with people who have present violence in their lives. I had enough, and I draw a boundary with that. However, people who have been in violent situations need to recover from trauma and need to understand the subconscious patterns that brought them into that spiral to start with, the narcissistic sociopathic partnership. I work with those women, and it's a process. It's definitely a process. Most of those women were abused as children, and there are quite predictable patterns of how those women will then conduct themselves what type of man they'll be attracted to. I can speak for myself. I had parents who hated each other. They were at war. And I did not view anything loving or kind or hear loving and kind things. I was there to help try to run between my mother and father, try to protect my mother from my father. My father would come running after me, screaming, I'm going to beat you to a pulp. Even when I didn't know what a pulp meant, I would be running to hide 
wondering what's a pope, what's a pope, but I knew a pope was not a good thing. And I would see my mother sobbing. I was determined I would not repeat the life of my mother. And as conscious as I was not to do that, I really didn't understand much of anything. So as a young woman, you know, I was totally ungrounded. I had no foundation. I was just in shock, in trauma. And I gravitated straight to a man who was magnification of my father. And he almost killed me. He systematically sought to destroy me and almost did. The last four years, I was completely disabled after a critical car crash where he did a lot of violence because I was helpless, defenseless. And it is a miracle that I survived and formed an escape plan and got away. And that's what it took. I understand a lot about what goes on because of that, because of that whole setup from childhood. Now, thankfully, I am aware enough and strong enough and founded and grounded where I won't even participate in a conversation with someone. If I recognize what their state of mind is, I will give not one ounce of energy to that direction. But it takes a lot to get out of that pattern and really see it. And this is something that is important to me. When women come to me and they need this type of work, I'm happy to help facilitate them. Do you know how the task force started, Mark, with the incident at the Lost Restaurant? Do you know about that? No. So, the end of December, a man came down from the Granite Tap House who was under the influence of something. He came down in the elevator and sexually assaulted a female employee in the Lost Restaurant and then punched her boyfriend in the face when he tried to... Wasn't the owner the assaulter? Mm-mm. I've heard other stories about, and I know a female who was assaulted at Granite Tap House by the owner, and I'm very mm, familiar I, with that. This is something oh, else that you're speaking of. Yeah. No, it was not the owner who assaulted the woman in the locked restaurant. However, yes, I remember there was a social media and boycott of women of the Granite Tap House a couple of years ago because of witnesses and employees who were stating that the owner of the Granite Tap House was inappropriate, violent, different things. Could be why the place is called something else now. My understanding is it's under new management, but he's still the owner. Did you know a young man jumped off the top of the Ashland Springs Hotel who worked for that person? I didn't know that he worked at the Granite House. I heard the story of that person, and he survived, yeah? He did. He's, uh, He's got a little bit of mechanism on one side for a leg, but he survived. You know what an interesting story of that is? There's been lots of reports of unsavory characters who hang out in the park-like area between the back of the plaza and Granite Street. And there's just been stories about men revealing themselves and different things in there. So one day I had actually parked up on Granite and I needed to walk across that area or go all the way around. And so I stopped and... I believe in using wisdom, so I wasn't going to just tromp on through. I stopped, and then I noticed that a man was walking up, and I thought, hmm, I'll see, maybe I'll ask this man if, if I can walk with him through, be like still accompanying me. And so he came up, and I asked him, and he said, sure, I'll walk with you through there. And we did, and as we were walking through, I said to him, so do you live in Ashland? You know, what do you do? And he said, oh, I own the tap house. No kidding. <laughs> Uh, I thought, isn't this typical? You know, the man I'm asking to, like, protect me, I've heard all kinds of stories about. I've only heard the stories, not from the victims themselves, but there was a lot of conversation. It's pretty common knowledge in this town. That's how embarrassing it is for this clown. Yeah. So this was a person who had been shown on the surveillance photos up at Granite that he was behind the bar inappropriately and other things. And then he came down the elevator and walked into the locked restaurant and assaulted the employee and took off. And then the owner of the lock started sharing the surveillance photos on Facebook, asking people if they recognized this guy and what had just happened. So I saw it and I started sharing it to multiple groups. And within probably two minutes, I started getting private messages from women wanting to send me photos of the man who had raped them or who had just drugged them in a bar. And this has been going on in Ashland for many years. And they just happened so quickly. And 
they were so frequent that I said, this is it. I've been watching stuff in Aspen for years. I've been hearing about things from waitresses for years. Not just assault, but a growing feeling of not being safe, a growing feeling of when it's dark walking back to the car. I do want to say this is not only as a result of the people that we consider to be homeless people or in transit. This is also men in suits, men who are following women dressed in nice clothing with fancy cars, all segments of the population, at women feeling more and more in danger, unsafe. Is alcohol a big part of this, though? In what way? Because I think it numbs social responsibility for men. Are you asking me, are the men under the influence of alcohol or the women? The men. Hey, I live practically over uh, the iPub downtown, and it's a hooting and a hollering almost every single night, and people are getting drunk every day, and most of those people are college students. I would imagine that increases all of this so much that we have total alcohol abuse in this town. The difference between the effects of someone who drinks a lot of alcohol versus smokes a lot of pot. Usually not the pot smoker. That's That's not even relevant. Those two things don't even fit in the same conversation. We're talking about alcohol. Alcohol is poison. I know that when I was in college, I grew up in a surfing town. We drank alcohol before we were even in high school. We were drinking alcohol, I don't know, maybe I was... 13 when we started drinking alcohol and certainly college parties. I mean, I remember myself being pinned down underneath one of the UCLA football players in the living room of his fraternity house at a party while the party was going on. Fortunately, he passed out before he was able to rape me and I had to lay under his unconscious body until another one of his teammates happened to be coming through and looked in and saw and rolled his buddy off of me and got me up and we actually sat outside and talked for a few hours. He was a super nice guy. But certainly, you know, there was a lot of alcohol. Alcohol is certainly a factor in aggressive behavior. And now, of course, we have all the other drugs, right? So my understanding from talking with college guys who've helped me move over the last couple of years is that parties are mixing Tremendous amounts of prescription drugs with alcohol and also with meth and heroin. Some of these guys, the the young footballers that helped me move, I brought these topics straight up to them. I just said, hey, what's going on with uh, lack of consent in your parties and raping women by dumpsters and all this? That Stanford student, that had just come out in the press, who had raped his colleague out in a dumpster and got that very lenient sentence from the judge in San Francisco, who, by the way, was dethroned in the last election. But um, he said to me that he himself watches where a woman is about to be taken away in a car by a man, a young guy, and the woman is very out of it, and he has himself interceded and taken the woman home safely himself, seeing the precarious position the woman is in. When I was in high school and in college, we all drank. We didn't do any serious drugs like that. Well, at least I didn't. I never was concerned and never heard stories about the girls being raped. Of course, that was a million years ago. And I would guess that even then, even though I didn't hear of it and it didn't happen to me, it was still happening. It was happening. And then, of course, there's all different measures of that, which is where does consent start and stop? One of the most clear examples is, have you ever seen that cartoon that's from England? The man is talking with a British accent about a cup of tea, and he uses the example of a cup of tea. It's really great. He talks about scenarios involving a cup of tea. For example, if you offer to make a cup of tea for a woman, and she says no, accept her no. She doesn't want a cup of tea. Don't force her to have a cup of tea. If she says she wants a cup of tea, and you make the cup of tea, and you bring it to her, and then she changed her mind and she doesn't want the cup of tea, don't force her to drink the cup of tea. Let's say you make the cup of tea, and she starts to drink it, and halfway through, she doesn't want to drink it anymore. Don't force her to finish drinking the cup of tea. She doesn't want the tea. Let's say 
she drank a cup of tea last week, but this week she doesn't want a cup of tea. Don't make her drink the cup of tea. Let's say she's unconscious. She doesn't want tea. No one unconscious wants to drink tea except what she said, right? So this is really clear, but it's not clear in people's minds and behaviors. And honestly, it's not clear within women either because we have been so programmed to believe, well, we started out engaging this man and now it doesn't feel good. I changed my mind. I'm scared. How does a woman say no and have it be respected when a man is usually much bigger, much more aggressive, much stronger? What does she do? In Denmark, they're teaching children about sex in kindergarten. They're starting immediately. And they say in America, there's at least four times the teenage pregnancy rate. We suppress information. We do not actually educate human beings. We don't know the things we need to know. We know the things that are not helping us with the things that we need to know about. This is all a byproduct of not knowing what to do. So that little thing that you just talked about, the cup of tea, is an instant successful way as a metaphor to introduce children to boundaries, into reasonable behavior, into social responsibility. But we're not doing really much in that way. Yes. And as you say, it's approaching it from all different angles. So yes, it's educating men to hold themselves accountable for a state of mind that honors others, honors all beings. Honors themselves. Those people are not honorable to themselves. They have to be honorable to themselves. And yes, Women also understanding and seeing the example, life in action of a woman, their mother, who honors herself because the best way for a woman to teach a man how to honor her is by the demonstration of how she honors herself. So this is a multifaceted issue. It definitely is, and things are out of control and have been for a very, very, very long time. How about the why? And this is part of what I've explained to my kids. We need to do this examination. We're not taught how to think critically and contemplate and try and get to the why so we can examine the why and correct that at the source. Yeah, and understanding that human beings are complex. We really are. And so, you know, this combination of mind, body, spirit is complex. For example, if someone comes into my office as a private client, I'm tuning into them from the minute they call. I'm tuning into them when they walk into my office, each time they walk into my office, how they completed the intake forms. I'm tuning into the training that I have, the experience I have, and my personal insights from my own very challenging, concentrated life. And each time I'm with them, I'm working very personally and individually, honoring their complexity, honoring their well-being as to how they have come to where they are and what would be the most effective way to help them understand, feel, and create new ways of perceiving, being, acting, moving, thinking, relating to life themselves and others differently. So this complexity seems to intensify more and more and more. Whereas sometimes if you look at the more primitive cultures, I just saw a little clip on YouTube where a primitive culture, what we call primitive, have this tradition where if a man beats his wife, he runs to another woman's house and all the women circle around her physically while she's in the center of the circle so that no one can get to her. And they make these particular calls out where the leaders of the tribe of the men come out and they take this man and they take him over and they talk to him about what just went on and find out what his problem is and apply whatever techniques they apply. And and if he ever does it again, he's banished forever. And they say that the race is phenomenal that these men do not repeat it. There is swift and clear protection for the women and justice. That's because they fundamentally care about each other. They have made agreements. We're not civilized. There's nothing civilized about us at all. We have no agreements fundamentally between human beings, not states or cities or countries. 
we need to include everybody in saying that we can agree that this is a way to move forward and coexist. And if we don't get some agreements between us, which we haven't had even in this country for a couple hundred years, how can we agree on anything when we don't include everybody in the equation of agreeing on just some fundamental principles of relating to each other? Yeah, and it's one of the approaches that the task force is taking. We've had one event where we, it was our first public awareness event, so there was a lot of information we wanted to impart about the reporting process, and the chief of police was there handing out his private line for anyone who wanted to talk with him. And But then we spent some time brainstorming, and it was just the start. We intend to have more events where the people in the community come together and brainstorm about how do we create a culture right here. Can we make Ashland a template for how it needs to be? And how do we go about that from different avenues? There's a trainer in town. We have already put on a two-hour training, which was a taste of what he does in regards to empowerment and He wants to do a four-day event in the fall that we'd like to sponsor. This is someone who for 30 years has worked with men in regards to empowering men to stand up to other men and say, hey, that's not cool. Don't say that. Don't do that. You shouldn't have done that. Back off. It takes steps for men to do that with one another. And then also empowering women energetically. We have a range of resources energetically that goes from the lowest of being to outrage, being furious, demanding, and then a whole line in between that is agreeing to, assertive, and beyond, and how to be able to stay in our bodies, stay grounded, stay empowered, so that we can access the appropriate response at the appropriate time, specifically when we feel vulnerable before we are actually assaulted. There's a lot of different ways to work with this, and we are so open to ideas, involvement, inspiration of any measure from everyone, because it is everyone's issue. The very nature of the task force is not one of anger or shame or blame. It's about culture change. It's about increasing awareness and coming together as a community determine How do we make these changes and how do we stay aware of the truth of what is really going on? The helpline is there. The police are there to help. It's important to report. I'm not the law. I'm not the social worker. So the question is, what are you prepared to do? Because this is what the task force, this is what my work is, preparing us to take action, preparing us to come together and determine What can we do and how can we create a different way of being towards one another that is loving and kind and honoring, not aggressive and not assaultive? If we can't get to kids by the time they're going into high school and have their minds wrapped around what it takes to be in the world in a a sweet, kind, and reasonable way, this is never going away. As I say, SART does have a program in the school starting in kindergarten. So that's a big step. And the executive director of SARS goes to other locations and trains other facilitators in schools and the police department. So there is good work being done. It just needs to expand into many facets of this very big situation. Most certainly, women have taken enough abuse, enough violence. We deserve to feel safe. We deserve to be safe. We deserve to be equal. And we need to understand our own honor, our own boundaries, our own empowerment. So it's everyone's challenge to become involved. People can go to the Facebook page and see what events are going to be coming up. They can email me at Keeping Ashland Women Safe at gmail.com. Someone from the task force will respond. And I welcome all different measures of participation, collaboration, and, and ideas because it's big. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that you uh, came on the show and talked to us about it. And I'd also like to offer that if anyone is interested in working with me as a private client, to mention that they heard about me on your show and they will receive a special rate. I try to 
help whoever is in need whenever possible. And so they can contact me through my website, empoweringhypnotherapy.com, or email me directly at empoweringhypnotherapy at gmail.com. Well, thanks so much for obviously very necessary public service. This is the work of real superheroes. I can tell you that one time in my social worker world, a client said to me, I will love you forever because you're the first person that ever believed my story. I really feel that this life was designed to be one of service, and I have never had family as an adult. Almost all my family died of cancer. You know, I have lived through a lot for a reason. I hope your foot's feeling better today. Yeah, the foot has me having to be extremely mindful of every move I make and not squander any energy at all to have my priorities very clear. But it also is giving a lot of people the opportunity to help me. It's a blessing to them, and I'm very grateful for myself. When this happened, I was pretty kicked at myself for about 24 hours, and then I said, okay, time to surrender to this. Let's see what the jewels are. Thank you, Alea. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and rest up when you can. Thank you, Mark. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was good to have Alea Katani on the program. This is a challenging subject matter. I'm a father and a former husband, and uh, it concerns me that we require the Keeping Ashland Women Safe Task Force in our town in the year 2018. But it is what it is. On September 20th from 6.30 to 9 p.m. at Love Revolution, 383 East Main in Ashland, KAWS will be putting on their third community event. Please contact them in advance of the night if you'd like to be a part of the panel of women and men. This will be a safe container and held by founder and chair Alea Katani and also advocates from the Jackson County Sexual Assault Awareness Team, SART, and mediators. RSVP is not required except for those who choose to be on the panel. To commit to a place on the panel, contact KAWS at keepingashlandwomensafe at gmail.com or via private message on the Facebook page. Please note, this is an adults-only event except for mature teens accompanied by parents. If you have any further questions, please contact Alea Katani at keepingashlandwomensafe at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It's an honor for me to present people who have important messages to deliver. There's a lot of evolving that needs to happen. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and I do appreciate all the support that I get. It is incredible that I did receive extra support during my transition from Ashland, Oregon to Moscow, Idaho. It was a a bit more costly than I had imagined to just drive up here and and bring my stuff and then go back and then come back. But uh, a couple of my listeners really ponied up and uh, helped me through this transition. So uh, a very appreciative thank you to those out there who uh, kicked down a little bit extra in the past few weeks. It's always my pleasure, of course, to present this show to you from Moscow, Idaho, my new hometown for as long as I am here. Have a good rest of your week. Take care. Bye-bye. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44. Potatoes. We got one more 
set to go Is anybody out there? I don't know Let's fire this up I don't wanna go home I'm a ninja It's one for the money Two for the show Three for whatever I forget how it goes You can step on my shoes But not my soul Oh, I'm a ninja We got four on the floor And a five-piece band Six-pack or two waiting out in the van I can do this thing I know that I can I'm a ninja Well, I'm all tuned up And I am ready to roll Where the hell Drummer, where did the bass player go? Well, the singer and his hair are having a fight The keyboard player's been stoned all night I still wanna play, but I don't know why I'm a ninja Yeah, it's one for the money, two for the show Three for whatever, I forget how it goes You can step on my shoes, but not my soul Oh, I'm a ninja yeah, it's a four on the floor in a five-piece band A six-pack or two waiting out in the van I can do this thing, I know that I can I'm a ninja I've been hurting these cats who can hardly spell their Thank you, Gene Burnett, jeanburnett.com.